Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. The title of this episode is The Secret Life of a New York Times Bestselling Author. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes for today's episode at bloggingbistro.com. Well, today we have a very special guest on the podcast with us, and as you might have already guessed, it is a New York Times best-selling author. Her name is Susie Flory. Welcome, Susie. Hey, Laura. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. I'm excited to talk with you today. Uh, you're the author or the co-author of 14 books. Is that right? Or are there more? Mm, somewhere in the mid-teens. All right. That's a lot. That, that's, that's pretty accomplished. You had a runaway bestseller a few years back called Thunderdog, The True Story of a Blind Man, His Guide Dog, and the Triumph of Trust at Ground Zero. That's kind of a mouthful for a title. <laughs> did you write the title or did somebody else come up with that one? Uh, the original title was very short and sweet. It was Trust and Teamwork. But you can probably see why they didn't like that title all that much. Yeah. And you would it be called co-writing that book? Is, is that what the correct it, term the, is? Yeah, the technical title would be collaborative writing. So anyway, your book Thunderdog became a New York Times bestseller in hardcover nonfiction and ebook nonfiction the first week of release. That's very impressive. Yeah, it was released on, it's a, a, it's a true story of something that happened on 9-11, and it was released on the 10-year anniversary. So that helped the book. Yeah. Plus, it was brilliant. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was. Now, uh, one thing, listeners, that you will notice about Susie and I is that we know each other very, very well, and uh, we give each other a bad time all the time. So I will probably do that a little bit here on the podcast. We can. I can take it, Laura. Yeah, and so can I. Uh, we tease each other mercilessly, but that's, I think, a big part of our friendship. When I first met you, I had no idea. Well, I, you know, you weren't a New York Times bestselling author when we first met. I think you had one book out at the time. And I always had this vision in my mind of what a New York Times bestselling author looks like and acts like. So my vision is that you probably live in a mansion and <laughs> that you are uh, extremely wealthy. You know, you can donate all your extra millions of dollars to people like me. You walk around in your four inch stiletto heels and you wear glittery tank tops and your favorite subject to talk about is yourself. Well, I don't know that I've ever worn stiletto heels <laughs> in my life. I'm more of a high top tennis shoe girl or hiking boots. Same with the glittery tank top. Those are really uncomfortable. Have you ever <laughs> worn one with like yes. sequin? Oh my gosh. They're gross. I, yeah, yeah, no. I'm, they have to be like super lined, but they're still itchy. They're very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I live in a small, you know, probably medium sized three bedroom house. So. Nothing super fancy there. And I really don't like to talk about myself, but I do like to talk about my stories. 
So you you do have some interesting stories. The last time that we were uh, on a virtual conference call together, and, and Susie and I usually meet on Zoom because she lives in California and I live in Washington State. So we only get to see each other in person a couple of times a year, usually at writers' conferences. But the last time I saw you on Zoom, you were wearing a very interesting t-shirt. It did not have any glitter or sequins on it, but it said Squirrel Squad on it. Okay, so that's a little different. <laughs> Just a little little part-time. That is gig. not New York Times. <laughs> that is not New York Times bestseller-ish. New York Times bestseller-ish authors do not wear squirrel squad t-shirts in my world. <laughs> I know so much about squirrels. If anyone has a question about squirrels, I am your girl. What is life really like for you, Susie? You and your Squirrel Squad t-shirt. The the truth. So I live in the mountains at 4,000 feet. We are actually expecting snow tonight and fingers crossed our power doesn't go off again. Because when the power goes off, not only do we not have internet or any electricity, but our toilets don't flush and we have no water because we're on a well. So that just kind of sets the stage. We're in a forest of incense cedars and ponderosa pine trees and oaks and madrones and Douglas firs. It's beautiful. We have a mountain lion that lives across the street and raises her babies. And she hunts behind our house. She hunts deer and she she passes by on a trail on the side of our house and she chirps at us to let us know when she's going by. She's very polite. I have never seen her, nor do I ever want to see her. But you've um, heard the chirping. Yeah, <laughs> she does. She, they chirp. It's funny. They don't roar like a lion. So she's they not like coming after you or anything. She's just saying, here I am. Leave me exactly. alone. Exactly. She's very polite. Uh, but it is a sound that you will never forget if you hear it. Hopefully you'll never hear it. And my daughter, for her life's career, her vocation is wildlife rehabilitation. So what they do is they take in, it's a whole nonprofit organization who's permitted through Department of Fish and Wildlife, and they take in wild animals from the forest, from the Sierra Nevadas here in California, and they take care of them. So typically they're injured or ill. And she happens to be the small mammal specialist and her niche is squirrels. And there's about five different kinds of squirrels here, including flying squirrels Mm. who can fly 200 feet. They're very cool. And she has a squirrel nursery in our laundry room. Okay. That sounds inconvenient for doing your laundry. (laughs) Yes, it is. We've had many discussions about doing laundry and when I can do it or when I can't. And uh, a lot of times, in you know, during baby season, which is spring and fall, we have baby squirrels in there. And last year, she took in over 80 squirrels. That's a lot of squirrels. Not yeah. all at one time. but Not all at one time. They stream throughout the year. But she has babies. Right now, she has two little babies. And uh, she bottle feeds them, gets up every few hours. They have to be pottied which is a whole conversation you probably don't want to have. And occasionally they escape their enclosures and rocket around the laundry room. And if you happen to be in there, they will jump on your head. 
Wow. Okay. So you're like totally crashing my stereotypic idea of what a New York Times bestselling author's life looks like. Yeah, there are times that I am doing something online and I have to say, I'll be back in 15 minutes. I have to go feed and wipe the bottom of a baby's Oh, okay. Yeah. You And you've never told me about the wiping the bottom part before. Aren't there squirrel diapers that you could... <laughs> Unfortunately, no. We did actually try with one who was having a problem and we needed to cover him up. And so we tried doll clothes and baby clothes and a sock and... He just could wiggle out of everything. So we were never successful with the squirrel diapers. I think that your daughter could probably make a fortune if she was to design a squirrel diaper and, you know, test it on all those squirrels that are in your laundry room. I have no doubt that she could do that <laughs> if it were possible. Okay. So so everything that I, I thought I knew about bestselling authors has been destroyed already here in 10 minutes. So... Uh, let's move on <laughs> and Moving talk about on. the writing life. There's no I mean, way to top that conversation. We could talk about this forever, you know, and I could tell you about the time, well, it was just a few weeks ago, actually, when Susie and I were at the West Coast Christian Writers Conference and and we went out to lunch before the conference. And okay, so you're thinking, okay, Susie, she's probably going to have like all this gourmet food. But you said, no, I want to have a burger because your husband doesn't eat red meat, right? Right, right. And so you eat burgers whenever you get the opportunity. <laughs> so we went out to an ice creamery, which is, you know, the perfect place to go eat in my book. And you told me you have to order the ice cream first with your lunch because you don't want to miss the ice cream. So we ordered burgers and sandwiches and we ordered our ice cream. That like was, was the first thing that we ordered. So we made sure that we were not denied the opportunity to have our burgers and our ice cream. <laughs> priorities. Gotta yes, have priorities. Gotta have your priorities. And you also have hobbies too which you always give me a bad time because I don't have any hobbies. But tell us about, you like uh, counted cross-stitch? and I do. Are... Yeah, I'm having a hard time with counted cross-stitch because it is harder to see now that I'm wearing glasses. And so, you know, it's a little bit harder than when I was younger. But I do love needlework. Uh, my grandmother was an amazing quilter. And so kind of come by it honestly. And I've been working on my soup game. I've been making different, couple different kinds of soup and working on perfecting that. And then I love outdoor stuff. I have a horse and I love hiking and skiing and things like that, being outside. One of the things that Susie and I like to, and, and we have co-taught at writers conferences before, and we actually teach a class on building your writing career. And I think that the Professional Writer Podcast actually is an outgrowth of that class that we have taught together, or the course, I should say, because it's like a six-hour class that we've taught. In episode number two of this podcast, I introduced some topics about making the mindset shift from writing as a hobby or writing in your spare time into working writer mode or writing as a business and a profession and an occupation or a career, which is what both of us are doing. But I know that one of the things that is really near and dear to your heart as well as to mine is helping writers to make that mindset shift. 
And one of the ways that you can make that mindset shift is through cultivating a life of writing. And that means by seriously pursuing whatever form of writing that you want to do, you're not haphazardly, not just randomly, but very seriously, very much with commitment. And I know that throughout your writing life, you have diligently cultivated a life of writing. So tell me a little bit about some of the ways that you started doing that and continue to do that at this point in your career. How do you cultivate a life of writing? It really came out of rejection. So every writer who wants to be published traditionally and wants to make enough money to pay their bills will be rejected at one point or another. Usually it happens pretty quickly. (laughs) And so I had published a few articles um, after going to a conference and learning as much as I could. And then I had an idea for a book and I thought it was a great idea. I did all the footwork and was already speaking on the topic, speaking and teaching on the topic at different locations, you know, being asked to speak. And then when I went to pitch it to an agent at a writer's conference, sat down and pitched it with my knees shaking, he rejected me and he said I didn't have credibility. And so trying to figure out like somebody to help me to figure out how to get this book published. And out of nowhere, Somebody gave me a, I think it was a CD at the time of a person who was an expert in the area I was writing about. I listened to it. I loved what he had to say. I sent him an email and told him that. And he said, let's have a phone call. I want to see if I can help you. And he eventually ended up writing the foreword for the book and doing a Q&A at the back. We were able to put his name on the cover. He was an academic, a very distinguished academic who out of the goodness of his heart just agreed to kind of be a mentor and to kind of help with this book. And he turned into more of a mentor. You know, I had a relationship with him for years, a mentor relationship. And I learned a really great lesson. And that is that you cannot do this alone and that you need people to help you kind of make these different jumps or level, you know, we call it level up at our writers conference to be able to level up into the professional writing life. You can't do it alone. So that is probably the biggest thing that has helped me and that I try to teach other people. Because us writers, we're, a lot of us are introverts, and this does not come naturally. And it's also scary to trust someone as well. I remember feeling scared of trusting him. Yeah, and as a person who would be looking for a mentor so that you're not in this alone. You don't necessarily have to hire a quote professional mentor. It can be somebody like this person who you came into contact with who reached out to you. That's right. And he had the he has and ha- he's still around. He has a uh, dementia now, so he is not, you know, doing the same kind of work anymore. But he was a mentor to many people, I found out later. Mm -hmm. And he was just one of those kind of people that are put on this earth to help other people along. And there are a lot of people like that. So you need to be looking for those people. And it's hard to do when you're at home. I really am convinced you need to get out, meet people, talk to people. And then there's these kind of pathways and connections that happen 
where the, then these people come into your life and help you. And I've had a number of people help me with writing this way. And you've now, in the ensuing years, have turned that around, and you're now mentoring other people. I remember a couple of years ago, we were talking, and you had this idea going on in your brain at the time of helping people who want to write their memoir. And you've gotten into that in a big way in the last year or so. And one of the things that I really appreciate about you, Susie, is that when you start thinking about something and you go, I could do this, you have this idea, you have a total entrepreneurial heart, because you don't just think about it, you actually do it. You just you just try it. And you know that there's going to be things that are going to fail and not work out the way that you had hoped, but you jump in and you start doing it. So talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing over the last year or so to develop the memoir writing part of your business, because that's something different than the books that you're writing. It's very it's related. It's related, but different. Yeah, it is, it is different. And I think the heart of an entrepreneur or maybe the genius of an entrepreneur is that they can see where there is a need that is a, a, a powerful need and a sustained need. Doesn't mean just one person has a need, but you're seeing a need out in the marketplace and you have an idea on how you can fill that need. And so what had happened was after I had written a couple bestsellers and my name was out there and, you know, I was doing consistent work over about 15 years in the area, mostly of memoir, I started to have people contact me a lot and want to either go to coffee or, you know, have a phone conversation and they call it picking your brain. I want to pick your brain about <laughs> memoir, about how to get published, about my story. I want to tell you about my story. I want to know, you know, I'm hoping you might be able to help me with my story. And so sometimes I was getting asked to help people once a week or even more. And so I can't help everybody. And I would just get really frustrated. After about a couple of years of this, of just, you know, trying to be kind to people, give them a little advice, but getting frustrated, I finally realized there's a need there. And it was just kind of this nagging thing that used to irritate me, which I kind of feel embarrassed about now because I could not help everybody. I can't write 52 books a year. The other issue that I had is that a lot of stories are not big enough stories to be publishable, but they're still worthy and they're important. I believe everyone should write their memoir. So I I started to realize there was this need that was not being filled, but in the marketplace and people were getting very discouraged. They would put all their money into a writer's conference, hundreds of dollars, sometimes thousands of dollars, and go and, you know, try to find help and just be totally shut down and say that, you know, people would say there's no market for memoir. Agents would shut them down. Editors would shut them down. They'd come away totally discouraged. And I thought, I think that's wrong. And I started to get kind of outraged about that. And so out of being irritated and outraged, I started an organization or a group called Everything Memoir to try to help people write their stories, ordinary people and also professional writers who need some help. So it's it's very focused on education and mentoring, kind of in a group format. And it's okay. all free. It's all free right it's now. Free. Yeah, it, it's all free now. That That is a very good word to hear. People are probably really excited about that. So if I'm I'm interested in writing my memoir, where would I go to join this free 
service that you're yeah so mainly we hang out on facebook because i find that's where a lot of writers hang out and a lot of uh, newer writers and so we have a a private facebook group called everything memoir Mm -hmm. and if you're interested you can join it and i have instructional videos that you can watch there i also do consulting but most people don't need consulting they just need help and encouragement and that's what we do in the group we cheer people on answer questions and try to give quality instruction. That is really great. And I know that uh, you started from zero, just like all of us do with every new type of venture that we start. And you now have uh, almost close to 600 people in that group, don't you? Yeah, we've been going not even a year yet. So we've been going, I think, right about 10 months, 11 months, something like that. And there's been good word of mouth. And um You know, surprisingly, a lot of people do want to write their stories. I think just about every baby boomer out there wants to write their story. (laughs) And they should. And they should. Yeah, they should. And and that doesn't mean, like you said before, they don't necessarily have to get it published and have it become a a bestseller. But it might just be a story that they write for themselves personally, or for some immediate family members or something that they can pass down to their kids and, and grandkids. Is that the type of thing that you see with are people doing that a lot? Or what are you seeing the most often among people who are in the group? Most often, I see people who have a story of redemption, a story of survival, a story of hope. And the reason they want to tell the story is to help other people. And so I feel like if that is most people's motivation that I come across, then it is my job to try to help them as much as possible. I saw a great quote a couple of weeks ago. I read the New York Times newspaper Sunday edition, and they have a book review a little insert. And I would suggest anyone who wants to be a professional writer to read that to see what's going yes. on in the world of books. It's the gold standard. There was an interview with an author, and she said, memoir is the way the dead talk to the living. And I love that. Your book is going to live on uh, beyond your lifetime and talk to other people. And that's true of any well-written book, I think, or any well-written piece of writing. It, it lives on beyond you. That's really cool. I like that. Uh, just a little aside here before I forget, I will put a link to Susie's Everything Memoir group in the show notes. So if you're interested in joining Everything Memoir Facebook group, you can just check out the show notes at bloggingbistro.com and that'll link up directly to Susie's group. And that's a private group. So you have to request to be admitted into the group. Do you have any any requirements for people to join the group? Or is it just kind of you request and follow the rules? Say I'm going to follow the rules and you're in. Right. I do ask them uh, what's their biggest fear so that Mm. I know kind of what to address and how to talk to people and help them with their fears, because it's fear that typically holds you back more than anything else. And then we do have a few rules. It's not a place to go and sell your book. And one of the things I could assure you of that you do not have to be afraid of is interacting with Susie Flory in that group, because she's like the least intimidating person you could ever meet. <laughs> I love that you said that, because I I feel like, you know, when I was young, I'm kind of shy. And I feel like when I was young, I, th- I feel like I kind of scared people and intimidated people for probably various reasons. And, you know, probably part of it is you read too much and you use archaic words <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> and so I feel like I did really scare people. And so I'm glad to hear that I don't do that anymore. That's been a goal. Yeah. Life goal. Yeah. 
anybody that you can, anybody that orders ice cream with their dinner is, that's my kind of person. (laughs) So you've done a lot of things in your career to cultivate this life of writing. And one of the things that I find really interesting about you, and we've known each other for how long now? Since around 2006, I think. Yeah, about a dozen years Um, or more. I would say maybe close to 15. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things you've always impressed me that have always impressed me about you is that you seem to have several different projects, writing projects going on at any given time. And they're all at different stages, right? So you're not like at the beginning stage of of five different books all at once, but you have multiple projects going on. And I think that's a an important thing for people who are thinking about entering the freelance writing life or becoming an author need to really think about in terms of career development is you don't just do one project at a time. You usually have multiple projects and multiple clients at one time. So tell us a little bit about what you have going on right now in your writing life. We know that you've got the Everything Memoir group, and that's not necessarily so much you writing, but it is a big part of your life in that you are mentoring and and teaching and offering support and encouragement to other writers. So that's one project you have going on. What do you have going on in terms of your book writing and other parts of your life where you are involved with the writing world? Right now I'm in the editing stage and rewrite stage for a big book that is related to uh, Ireland and donkeys, Irish donkeys. And a man who uh, suffers from PTSD. And there's a big story there that I've been working on. I was in Ireland twice last year for that project. And we're in the rewrite phase. So that's a really important project that I'm spending time on, a lot of time and energy. I've been on that project about two years now from the very first time that he contacted me and it will come out next year. So there's about a three year time span to kind of give you an idea of how something like that works. Once it comes out, I'll still be involved in marketing for a while. So that project will probably take around four to five years total. But while I'm doing that, I'm also developing some other projects. So I have a new project that is, um, kind of in the very early stages uh, that involves NASA and a very famous flight surgeon who worked with all the early astronauts and helped develop the space program. And then I'm working on a book related to my master's thesis. I'm in seminary. That thesis, I'm hoping, will become a book. So that'll come out. I mean, that will be written over the next two years. I'm doing research and work development work on that. And then I'm also reading for a book that I want to write in the next few years uh, about a pilgrimage to Ireland. So I'm reading about the history of Ireland, which goes back probably 10,000 years. (laughs) So I was just reading about when Irish people became literate, when they first got the gift of reading and writing instead of an oral tradition. So, and I'm reading about the monastic life and all sorts of things like that. So you're right. I do. I kind of think of it like movie production where you're in pre-production on some things. You're in current production. You're you're actually writing things. And then you go into post-production, which might involve editing, rewriting, marketing, things like that. So that's how... I kind of manage these things as I typically only write on one or two projects at a time. 
but I have other things where I'm pre and post production. Oh, that's so helpful to hear that timeline, Susie. And one of the things I that really struck me is this, this Donkey Whisperer book that you're working on right now. You said a projected timeline of between four and five years from the pre-production to post-publication and all the marketing that you do for that book. That's a long time frame. Mm-hmm. And when you are looking at being the owner of a writing business and earning an income, because I assume you're getting paid to write these books and to do these projects. She's nodding her head. Yes. <laughs> got to keep you the can't squirrels hear that, fed she's around nodding. here. We got to buy the walnuts <laughs> for the squirrels. I forgot but, to say about the squirrels. Let me just talk this really quick. <laughs> we have all these squirrels that have been released on our property. And so in the mornings, they've been coming up and wanting nuts. So that's another little side job I have is feeding okay. the wild squirrels. And I have to be happy with walnuts. You're the nutty lady. That's right. But going back to my <laughs> now I'm now I'm off track. Walnuts All right. are expensive, go... Laura. Walnuts <laughs> cost money. I know. This is why we I know. My husband just went to Costco and bought me two bags of them. Uh, <laughs> I love walnuts. <laughs> but I don't feed them to the squirrels. I eat them myself. Sometimes I, I go into my fridge <laughs> to get walnuts to make cookies or something, and they're not there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I know these went to the squirrel. <laughs> See, that's why you buy the two giant cases from Costco. <laughs> and, you know, everything in Washington State, and I'm sure in California, because of the coronavirus, is is sold out right now. <laughs> everything is is not on the shelves. But they do have walnuts. So I don't think that's a real popular item with people who are hoarding yeah Um, not with the shell they don't like it with the shells so oh see i get mine i get mine shelled so i just pop them right into my mouth or into whatever it is that i'm making anyway going back to the see we're we're friends we can do this we can go down rabbit trails or squirrel trails or whatever you want to call it Uh, but four to five years this is why it's so important to have multiple projects going on at one time. Now, I'm not saying all your projects take four to five years, because I know that's not the case. But a lot of them probably do take at least a couple of years, right? If you're trying to make a living and feed those squirrels and get those walnuts, you can't do that if you do one project every five years. Right. And I didn't even talk about speaking professional speaking as part is in the mix. Yeah, writing shorter pieces, and then doing things like consulting and other kinds of work, copywriting, things like that. So there are many pieces to the pie. And sometimes those pieces are bigger, and sometimes they're smaller. But if if you think of it as a pie, there's a lot of pieces that go into the writing pie. (laughs) Okay, so here's a big question for you that I think people might be wondering about right now. All these pieces of this writing pie that you're doing, and I'm also doing them. uh, Susie and I have similar careers in some ways, but in other ways we've diverged, I guess, on the, the types of things that we write about. But we both have multiple types of projects going at all times. And I want to know, and my listeners want to know, how in the world do you balance all of this stuff? Because, okay, so you've got your your three or four books, you're in seminary. I mean, wow, that's like a big full-time job in and of itself. You are doing the Everything Memoir group. You're speaking, you're writing shorter pieces, you're consulting, and you're directing a writer's conference. <laughs> 
holy cow, we haven't even talked about the writers' conference, but I've been on the board with Susie of this writers' conference for the last few years, and I know it takes a tremendous amount of time and energy, and that Susie puts in 10 times more time and energy to directing the conference than the rest of us on the board do. And all of us work very hard, but I know that you especially work super, super hard and put in a lot of hours on that. So how do you manage all of the things? I have to say, I don't always manage it as well as I would like. (laughs) And sometimes I'm late on things. I think the secret, again, going back to what we talked about before is teamwork, you know, having people who are there to help you, and then you're helping them and you're, you're working together as a team. Now, you can't really do that with writing, you know, when it comes down to actually the production part of writing, you're on your own pretty much. But almost every other phase of writing, the pre and post and everything else that we talked about has some level of teamwork to it. And so I think harnessing the power of teamwork and friendship and community, there's something really magical about it. And I think it's no mistake that God tells us to be in a community of believers and that we need to care for each other, you know, as a body. I think that is the truth. I think that is a big secret. I know it is behind what I do. I hear you saying that having a team behind you is of the utmost importance, that we're not in this on our own. Even though we may be writing from our closet or our bedroom or whatever, we don't do write in isolation. It always helps if we have supporters and cheerleaders and a team. That's part of it. And I, an important part, I also feel like a team pushes you. So just how you and I in our friendship and in our business, you know, dealings, when we've taught together and done different things together, it's not competition, but it's sort of you spur each other on a little bit. It's very friendly and fun, but I see Laura doing something. I'm always kind of interested. She sees what I'm doing. We talk about things. We share ideas. And all of a sudden you have these aha moments Or you just get this extra burst of energy and inspiration. And it really does happen in these relationships. And I think, too, that especially with a friendship like you and I have, where we know each other really well, we've worked together for a number of years now, and we've hung out together just in person as well, that we're really honest with each other. If one or the other of us has an idea that the other one goes, "Eh, I just don't think that's going to fly we'll just say it. And we know that it's not going to particularly offend the other person to hear that, but it's going to cause us to go, okay, you know, what causes me when you tell me, I don't, I don't know, I think you should hold off on that. Or I don't think that's really a good approach to take, or let's try something different. I really think about that because I value your opinion. And I'm thinking, well, if Susie is not feeling gung-ho, super excited about this, there's probably a good reason for it. And that means I may need to go back and rethink this process a little bit. Yeah, I think cultivating the art of listening is really important in the writing world. And when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying out different ideas, you might have 10 book ideas and when you run those by someone who's in the trenches with you and who has some experience, you may quickly have a great idea. You may quickly be able to determine which ideas are good and which are not. 
So I do think it's important to listen carefully to wise people as you travel this writing journey. And it's not to say that every bit of advice that some expert or professional gives you is going to be the right advice, but it's good to get input from different people. And then you can sift through that until you come to a point where you feel comfortable either making the change that other people suggest or not making the change that other people suggest. And then another really important part of becoming a professional writer is practicing. So let's talk about that for a couple minutes. How do you practice becoming a professional? That's a great question because a lot of writers journal. I do not. I do not keep a journal. I don't practice writing in that way. And for a long time, I felt bad about that, like I was failing because I didn't like to journal. But I like to have a purpose for my writing. I like my writing to be useful and have a goal in mind. So I don't like to just put my thoughts down on paper without a purpose or a structure or a plan. So I think in my heart and the way that I think and approach writing, I'm a little more of a journalistic type person. I like to write for a reason. And so I look for deadlines. I look for projects that have a timeline. I look for a project where I have a purpose in mind and a reader in mind. And so the way practice works out for me is actually giving myself an assignment or getting an assignment from a publisher or from someone else and to actually write it and then have other people read it and then listen to them. And the ones who are mean or crabby or who don't know what they're talking to, I ignore. But the wise ones I listen to. And then I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. (laughs) Yes. And that's when it gets good. That is the difference between a professional writer and an amateur is you get good feedback and you rewrite a lot. Yeah, when we were having a conversation last week, you told me that you always thought writing would get easier. But when you write, it's like you have to open this locked, rusty part of your brain. That's hard to open. So even though you've written in the teens of books and you're doing all these different writing projects all the time, are you saying that it never gets any easier? There are a few things that are easy, but they turn out not to be that good. When I really, really care about a project, when I love it and I'm passionate about it and want to just talk about it all the time and eat and breathe and live this project like I am with this Irish project, it is so hard. It really is. And I think that part of it is anxiousness about doing a good job. I can't explain exactly why it's so hard, but it is true. It does feel exactly like trying to open a locked door in my brain to write this story and to get it out. And it's really hard to open that door. But then once you unlock it, does some magic happen there? <laughs> I d- <laughs> yes. I mean, that's why we write is you can go into a flow state. It doesn't always happen, but when it happens, it is a beautiful thing. And have you had that happen to you? I have. Yeah. The story captivates you. People talk about the muse visiting them and the words just flowing. And yes, I love when that happens. Sometimes it's hard work and it's just a grind, but sometimes it is, it's wonderful. 
Well, I'm seriously hoping that that flow is going to happen to me later today because I have an article that I need to write on why it's important to brush your dog's teeth every day. So this is a crucial topic. This is important for the dogs of the world. (laughs) Not a book, just an article, but still. Apparently, according to the person I'm writing this for, about 80% of the people who bring their dogs to a veterinarian don't regularly brush their dog's teeth. I have tried that. Yeah. It's not an easy thing. So I know I'm looking forward to reading your article. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet you are. (laughs) You kind of have to work them gently into the, this teeth brushing thing, (laughs) just like teaching your toddler how to brush their teeth. I think when my kids were 18 years old, I was still checking with them every day to make sure they were brushing their teeth. Well, you had boys too. That uh, yes, I have boys. boys. Change your underwear, yeah. brush your teeth. They, they're just weird. They, they think that they could go for weeks or even years without brushing their teeth and that that doesn't offend anybody. It offends me. <laughs> And if you ever want to kiss a girl, you better. Yeah, it's like gross. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We're going down another little squirrel trail here. A squirrel trail. (laughs) Not not a bunny trail on this podcast. It's a squirrel trail with Susie Flory, the mistress of squirrels. (laughs) Kind of the godmother. My daughter, the godmother, the yeah, I'm the, the godmother. godmother of the Squirrel Squad and New York Times best-selling author Susie Flory. Well, Susie, if people would like to find out more about you and go out to Amazon and instantly buy all your books, because that's what they're going to want to do. She's a great writer. You're going to want to read her stuff because we are all stuck at home right now, right? And we have nothing better to do than to read books. And Susie is the master of writing memoir. So where can we go to find out more about you and your books? Probably the best place to start is at my website. You can get an idea of uh, what I do and the different ways that I might be able to help you. And it's susieflory.com. Yes. And I will include the link to Susie's website and to her Everything Memoir group in the show notes because Susie spells Susie S-U-S-Y. I know Susie's spelled about eight different ways, but you're the S-U-S-Y-F-L-O-R-Y. Go there, check it out, get to know Susie, join her Everything Memoir group, and you will be glad you did. Thanks so much for joining Susie and me today on the Professional Writer Podcast. Again, the show notes are at bloggingbistro.com. And if you would like to join the Professional Writer Podcast community on Facebook, that's different than Susie's Everything Memoir community. I also have a community just for this podcast where people can ask questions, continue the discussion, meet some of our guests. You can also find the link to that group at bloggingbistro.com. Talk with you again next week.